Good morning, I'm Pastor Gillespie from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church and School, Sherman Center, Random Lake, Wisconsin. It's good to have you with us here today for the Congregation of Prayer, Guide for Daily Meditation and Prayer Around God's Word. Saturday, December 3rd, 2022, we will uh, tidy up our memory work for this week, but then also look at tomorrow's Old Testament and Epistle reading. Do a little uh, maybe thematic reading as well, considering the uh, the day being the second Sunday in Advent, so themes of judgment and the return of Christ uh, will be rich in our readings and hymns for tomorrow. All right. Also uh, working to tidy up all the preparations for Sunday afternoon's funeral. That's for uh, Mickey Trot or uh, Lockman, and she remarried back in 2000, so whichever name you know her by. So uh, it'll be a large family there, I think. What did I see? 24 great-grandchildren, uh, and seven great-great-grandchildren, maybe? Twelve grandchildren? Anyway, uh, and with all the daughters, that'll be, be quite the event. So I encourage you to make plans to join us for that as well. Visitation from 1230 to 230. All right, so let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. All right. Let's say our memory verse one more time. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. 1 John 3, verse 2. All right. Our psalm for the week is Psalm 119, Verses 145 uh, through 160, Kofin Resh, we pray. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help, I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love, O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your just decrees. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust, because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life, according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your just and righteous decrees endures forever. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Okay, catechism for the week is the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, what does this mean? 
With these words, God tenderly invites us to believe that he is our true father and that we are his true children, so that, with all boldness and confidence, we may ask him as dear children ask their dear father. First petition, hallowed be thy name. What does this mean? God's name is certainly holy in itself, but we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. How is God's name kept holy? God's name is kept holy when the word of God is taught in its truth and purity, and we as the children of God also lead holy lives according to it. Help us to do this, dear Father in heaven. But anyone who teaches or lives contrary to God's word profanes the name of God among us. Protect us from this, Heavenly Father. All right. So uh, the epistle for tomorrow is from Romans chapter 15, so conclusion of the book. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us, to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God, to confirm the promises made to the fathers that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it, is, as it is written, For this reason I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him the Gentiles shall hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. Uh, maybe two points, important points to make here, and the first is that uh, we under, we come to understand the nature of the scriptures from Jesus Himself, of course, as He says to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, "All Scripture testifies of Me," and He began to open uh, the scriptures to them, uh, showing that it was necessary that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. For example, all right. Um, so Jesus does that exercise frequently showing that the scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, but the scriptures testify of Christ, right? Uh, and they tell us everything that we need to know. There is this question of whether, say, for example, you had, I don't know, two books, maybe the book of Psalms and the book of Isaiah, if you could um, then come to the realization that Christ was the Messiah. And I would argue you could. Um, but you could probably do it with just the book of Genesis, even. You could see that uh, Christ is the fulfillment of um, all the prophetic types and shadows given in the book of Genesis, which we've been studying each day. All right. But the New Testament uh, certainly then is further testimony, the testimony of the apostles, um, and of course the evangelists to the very words and actions of Jesus to show us that um, the, the Messiah has come. Right. So notice what uh, Paul says there at the beginning of our reading. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope, right? So whether that is telling us of the past, telling us of our present, or telling us of the future things that are to come, like the days burning like an oven, we'll see in Malachi. These are all written um, for our hope, namely the hope of the resurrection and the life everlasting. And I think we maybe miss that. We think um, that the scriptures are given for another purpose. I, I'm not even sure 
um, the relationship that maybe even the typical Christian, but certainly the non-believer, has um, to what what's called the Scriptures, the Old Testament. Do they um, do they look to them for hope, or they look for them to them for instruction? It's really hard to know. Uh, but here, Paul wants to remind you that they give hope, and especially hope. Uh, he's concerned about hope for the Gentiles. Right now, you know that's Paul's particular. Uh, mission, I would suppose, from Jesus. Certainly, it's his passion that the gospel go out not only to the Jew, but to the Gentile, as Jesus himself had uh, commanded before he ascended into heaven. But the disciples were, what do you want to say, reluctant or reticent to do it. Right. So again, uh, what is the hope for the Gentiles? Well, the prophets have foreseen this. I would even say Genesis did. Uh, I pointed this out to the children this week when um, uh, God says to uh, Jacob and you and your offspring, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Really repeating the promise he made to Isaac and to Abraham as well, right? In you and in your offspring, plural, singular, right? Jesus, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. It's right there. All ethne, all ethnics would be blessed in Jesus with forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Well, here, again, ethne, um, translated here as Gentile, um, is, is also uh, the promises were made to them. Paul wants you to to, to recognize this, and you don't, he's not making it up. It's not a New Testament teaching. It's an Old Testament promise, prophetically uh, promised and fulfilled in Christ, right? And now in the work of the church, right? And that should give us hope, knowing that Christ has not only elected Israel unto salvation, but all of Israel, including all ethnics that are brought into his new Israel. All right, so then on the basis of that, he can say something like verse 13, which is just a lovely text, right? Now may the God of hope, right? So he's the God of hope, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, believing what? That he came, the promises were made not only to the Jew, but to the Gentile, right? That you may abound uh, in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit works through the word. So it is by the things written before for your learning, that we have patience and comfort, that we have joy uh, and peace, right? And that we even have faith, that we trust that that word is written about us and for us, all by the Holy Spirit. Really uh, encouraging, right? To hear those promises of God. And for that reason, our Lutheran confessions use um, this text in particular in two places in the uh, article on what's called predestination or God's eternal foreknowledge and election unto salvation, right? So he had made a promise to us and he keeps his promise. That's what it means to be the elect of God. Um, so for example, this is paragraph um, or point 12 in uh, the affirmative statements. A Christian should concern himself in meditation with the article of God's eternal election only as far as it has been revealed in God's word, all right? So, by the uh, patience and comfort of God's holy word, we have faith, right? His word presents Christ to us as the book of life, which he opens and reveals to us by the preaching of the holy gospel, as it is written in Romans 8, verse 30. And those whom he predestined, he also called. In him, in Christ, we are to seek the eternal election of the Father, who has determined in his eternal divine counsel that he would save no one except those who know his son Christ and truly believe in him. Other thoughts are to be entirely banished from the minds of the godly, right? that there's salvation in anyone else, for they do not come from God, but from the suggestions of the evil foe. You know, that maybe there's a back door or there's, you know, an escape clause or virtuous living is another way of salvation, something like that. That's all from the evil foe. 
for they do not come from God, but from the suggestions of the evil foe. With such thoughts, he attempts to weaken or entirely remove us from the glorious comfort we have in this helpful doctrine. In other words, we know assuredly that out of pure grace, without any merit of our own, we have been elected, chosen, in Christ to eternal life. No one can pluck us out of his hand. He has not only promised this gracious election with mere words, but has also certified it with an oath and sealed it in the holy sacraments, or with the holy sacraments, right? So if you doubt your salvation, look to the sacraments. Are you baptized? Yes, right? Have you been forgiven? Yes. Does Christ offer and give to you his body and blood for the forgiveness of sins? Yes, right? Then you are the elect of God. We can, ought to call these to mind in the most severe temptations and take comfort in them. Right? Satan, drop your ugly accusation. I am not so soon enticed. Right? I am baptized into Christ. We can ought to call these to mind in the most severe temptations and take comfort in them, and with them we can quench the fiery darts of the devil. All right. Uh, so what was I going to share with you there? Ah, yes. I, I should go back one more paragraph. However, Uh, Many are called, but few are chosen. This does not mean that God is unwilling to save everybody, but the reason some are not saved is as follows. They do not listen to God's word at all, but willfully despise it, plug their ears and harden their hearts. In this way, they block the ordinary way for the Holy Spirit, so he cannot perform their work in them. Or when they have heard God's word, they make light of it again and ignore it. But their wickedness is responsible for, for this, that they perish, not God or his election. Right, so this is really important that we always recognize. The source of salvation is in Christ and Christ alone, namely working through his word and by the spirit. Right. So if you want comfort, hope, joy, and peace, it's going to come by his word, um, not by looking internally to you, contrary to the uh, living nativities pageant last night, <laughs> which is saying, look at the light inside your heart. And like, oh my goodness, that is not the doctrine of the scriptures. But, uh, well, that's, what you ex- that's probably what you should expect. All right. Uh, maybe what else? Oh, that's why I'm, I'm not finding it. It's a solid declaration, paragraph 12, that I'm looking for. All right. And against any, um, what's the delusion here? All scripture is inspired by God. That's, that's the truth. It is not for self-confidence or lack of repentance, but for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Also, everything in God's word has been written for us, not so that we should be driven to despair by it, but so that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope, right? So that's the purpose of God's word, is not to drive us to despair, despair of our sin, despair of our flesh, but not despair of God, right? Therefore, there is no question that lack of repentance or despair should not in any way be caused or strengthened by the sound sense or right use of the teaching of God's eternal foreknowledge. So the purpose of saying that you are the elect of God is not to drive you to despair, wondering, am I really God's chosen person, right? But rather that you would have confidence and hope. The scriptures teach that this doctrine only, uh, teach this doctrine only to direct us to his word, to encourage repentance and godliness and to strengthen faith and assure us of our salvation. All right, so that's always really important. That's a lovely paragraph. I'm glad I went and found that. Okay, um, and then, all right, so what's the contrary? All right, so a false teaching, when anyone teaches the doctrine about God's gracious election to eternal life in such a way that troubled Christians cannot comfort themselves with this teaching but are led to despondency or despair, or when the unrepentant are strengthened in their wild living, hey, I'm God's child, I can do whatever I want. Then the doctrine of election is treated wickedly and erroneously according to God's word and will. Instead, this doctrine is being taught 
according to reason and by encouragement of cursed Satan. It is, as the Apostle testifies in Romans 15.4, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through the endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Therefore, we reject the following errors, that God is unwilling that all people repent and believe the gospel. And when God calls us to himself, he is not eager that all people should come to him. That's an error. And another error, that God is unwilling that anyone, everyone should be saved, but some, without regard to their sins, from God's mere counsel, purpose, and will are chosen for condemnation so that they cannot be saved. We call that double predestination. Right? That's, that's rejected. Some, something in us causes God's election, not just God's mercy and Christ's most holy merit, because of which God has elected us to everlasting life. We also reject that. That's a blasphemous, a dreadfully erroneous doctrine, as it says here. Right? That it's not just that God chooses us, but that we have some, some capacity or some goodness in us. And that's the reason, part of the reason even, that he has chosen us. All right? We reject all of that. Right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, and it's the scriptures uh, that testify to the truth, and it's only then in the scriptures and faith worked by the Spirit through that word that we have joy and peace and confidence and hope and comfort and patience. All right. Very important. Very important. Mm, okay. Now we're going to look at the Old Testament um, reading, and that's from Malachi 4. Um, I'm pretty confident we studied Malachi as our first Bible study. Uh, when I got here back in 2018, right before Advent, or yeah, no, actually it was beginning with Advent. We, you know, we did a chapter a week and we finished right before Christmas, I think, maybe, but anyway, Malachi 4, for behold, the day is coming burning like an oven and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts that will leave them neither root nor branch. Well, that's encouraging. Ah, but to you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their to the children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. All right. Um, so again, uh, think about what we just said here, that whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. All right. Now try to apply that here to the Old Testament reading. Does it give you hope? The days are coming, burning like an oven. All the proud and wickedly will be made stubble. Well, if they are the enemies of faith, if they are um, those that might distract you from um, believing and trusting in, in Christ because of their false and empty words, well, their destruction is for your hope and comfort. Hmm. Uh, of course, the gospel is right here, and you can always look for a for a but to get that. This is a gospel but, as we call them, right? To you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. All right. So there's the contrast, right? Oh, but of course he will trample the wicked and they will be made ashes under the soles of your feet. Again, the, the defeat of enemies uh, is good news. And I know we don't like the violence and destructive kind of nature of this, um, but uh, well, it would be akin to like saying, well, I don't really need to die to my sins and evil desires and baptism. I don't need to be drowned and buried, you know, quoting Romans 6. 
Well, now you're denying scripture, right? Um, and that's a violent act that God actually executes upon you every day when he calls you to repentance, right? When he shows you your sins by his holy word, right? And, but he draws you out of the water alive and new again in the forgiveness of sins. Right? We don't want to soft pedal the violence of that act. Yep. Um, so remember, here it, here's an encouragement, just like what Paul was doing there in, in Romans. Remember the law of Moses, my servant all the statutes and judgments. Remember the word, right? Because in the word, you will know and you will receive the comfort and hope um, of what is to come. And then also remember the the prophet, Elijah, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. This is helpful because, of course, not this week, but next week, there will be the uh, interaction, I think it's next week, or maybe it's the fourth Sunday in Advent, um, between John and Jesus, right? Are you the coming one or should we look for another? Says John's disciples, right? He sends them to say that. All right, and Jesus says, uh, there's this question, who is the Elijah, who comes in as the Elijah figure, right? The final prophet. I think it's John. I think it's John. Although Jesus kind of says it's not John. Uh, sometimes it sounds like he's assuming the role of the last prophet too. So you can look at it both ways. But notice what the purpose of the prophet is to do, to make straight the way for the Lord, right? To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers, right? In repentance, that's this word. To turn is to repent, lest I come and strike the earth with this curse, right? And that is certainly John's work, that he comes uh, bearing repentance. All right. Um, Now, it might be helpful, and I think it is, to uh, look at the context of um, this reading and uh, maybe consider another way that it's interpreted, not according to the Christian tradition, because clearly you can hear um, Jesus in that text. For example, the son of righteousness. Well, that's Christ the Lord who comes with healing, right? Um, And then Elijah does come. He comes at the Mount of Transfiguration, like in Matthew 17, right? And then uh, the Father says, um, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then Jesus alone is standing, right? So you can see that Jesus assumes both the role of uh, Moses and Elijah, right? Um, And so then the giver of the law to Moses, right, at Horeb was Jesus, who becomes incarnate, writes the law in our hearts and minds, uh, so that we re- and remembers our sins and lawless deeds no more. That's Hebrews ten, speaking of Christ. Yeah, see, so that's the Christian interpretation. But how about how about um, the Jewish interpretation? So this is a, a great resource. Pastor Riley turned me on to this. It's called the Jewish Study Bible. Right. So it's contemporary Jews, believing Jews, maybe not um, you know Hasidic or you know super pious ones, but scholars. Right. Listen to what they have to say uh, about the Book of Malachi. Right. And then specifically to the text we're going to look at today, or that we're looking at here. The book of Malachi is set in a time when the second temple was rebuilt and sacrificial worship was resumed, thus later than the bulk of Haggai and Zechariah. It is composed in the Persian period and is addressed originally to the inhabitants of the Persian province of Yehud, or Judah. Because Yehud is what they called the, where the people of Judah settle in Persia. Um, in the exile. Because of the reference to intermarriage, chapter 2, some modern scholars assume that it belongs to a time closely preceding that of Ezra's actions on the matter. And some even would say that Malachi is Ezra, actually. Um, Some scholars have argued that the book was composed to provide an appropriate closing to the book of the Twelve, the Minor Prophets, as we call them, or that its conclusion was written as a conclusion to the Twelve rather than simply to Malachi, or that substantial portions of the book were originally associated with some form of the book of Zechariah. But none of these proposals is compelling. (laughs) 
Since Malachi means my messenger, it has been thought from early times that it was not the name of the prophet, but an appellation, perhaps uh, based on chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I am sending my messenger to clear the way before me. Right? Do you see? Um, Also in, well, really, verse 5, right? Um, And the Septuagint, that's the Greek Old Testament, translates it as his messenger. There's a tradition in the Targum that uh, Malachi is Ezra. A similar tradition is brought to bear uh, in this other text, an alternate tradition um, of some rabbi, Naaman, claims that Malachi was Mordecai. Still, other rabbis, the later uh, Ibn Ezra, Radek, and the Myomides, whoever they are, um, maintain that Malachi is the name of the prophet. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are all understood by the rabbis as the last prophets at the time of transition between the prophets to sages, and the Talmud mentions rulings and sayings by the prophet that seem to characterize him as an early sage. All right. So, then to maybe how to understand the text. The readers of the book of Malachi are asked to look at some pitfalls into everyday life and in the cult at the temple, particularly at how they affect the relationship between um, Yeshua and Israel, resulting in a lack of prosperity. Issues concerning proper offerings, marriage practices, and tithes are especially prominent in the book. There is the uh, chapter 3 with the uh, talking about how people are withholding their offerings from God. Uh, people like to use that on Stewardship Sunday. <laughs> um, messages of cultic reform and proper worship are deeply interwoven with the conviction of the coming of, the, of a future day in which the Lord will trample all evildoers. Such optimism about an ideal future is typical in prophetic works. As a whole, the book is aimed at persuading its readers to follow the Torah of Moses, or at strengthening their resolve to continue to do so. The message must be understood within the book's historical setting. The book presents a prophetic voice that ultimately asserts the superior, superiority of Torah, Moses, over prophecy. All right, and then there's some controversy and about the family groups, and it's got some other textual notes here. Um, but listen to what it says about the end. All right. Certain modern readers who have had a damaging experience of, of an overbearing father find the message of such texts difficult to accept, say, like with the book of Hosea. Other aspects of the imagery of the book of Malachi, and particularly its ending, have brought much hope and comfort. In fact, the reference to Elijah in chapter 3, verse 23 to 24, English chapter 4, is, um, is off, was often understood as an affirmation of hope for a final liberation, one even greater than the exodus from Egypt. For after Israel's first liberation, it eventually becomes enslaved again, but it will not after the one promised in Malachi. And they're right about that. Of course, we know it's fulfilled in Christ. Similarly, the language of chapter 3, verse 4 is repeated often in traditional Jewish liturgy as an expression of hope about um, of the re- restoration of appropriate worship in the future third temple, all right? So they're looking forward to a third temple, a rebuilt temple, hence Zionist uh, aims. Now listen to what they have to say um, about <laughs> about our chapter here. Actually, going back a little bit about this messenger regarding, um, uh, that, that's not in our reading, but it comes right before it. Much of the discussion of the messianic tone of Malachi centers on chapter 3, verse 23, and verse 1 and 2. So actually, um, right our reading as well. The identity of the messenger has been highly debated. Is my messenger, the 
the Malachi Malachi? Or is there at least a pun on the name of the prophet? Is the messenger the angel of the covenant, a zealous, powerful enforcer of the covenant, who is like a smelter's fire and a fuller's lie, purifying caustic treatment? Is he Elijah himself? Or is Elijah the angel of the covenant? Does the text indicate an expectation of a priestly Messiah? Right, so lots of questions, right? This is a very, there is a very long history of interpretation of this verse with multiple meanings already in antiquity. And then here's the point. This is in the Jewish study Bible. Ready? The New Testament merges this verse with Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, and identifies the expected messenger as John the Baptist. And then they cite Matthew 11, Mark 1, and Luke 7. Moreover, it is uncertain what covenant means in this context. Does it refer to a specific earlier covenant, or does it refer to the covenanted people that is Israel? Question mark. Right? So they recognize they can't, you can't quite make heads or tails of this. All right? Listen to how they kind of, I think, explain away the son of righteousness. In most English translations, um, these verses appear as, as Malachi f- verses 4 through 1 through 6, right? Which is what we're going to look at. A son of victory, or son of righteousness, um, literally, in the most translations, son of righteousness, to bring healing, literally, and in most translations, with healing in his wings. The background of the imagery is mythological, not, not actual, not fulfilled in Christ, but mythological. The rising of a son of righteousness is a metaphor for the dawn of a new day, i.e. an era of history. Isn't that something? All right. And then listen to the conclusion. At the conclusion, Malachi asserts the dominance of Mosaic Torah law over the prophetic tradition. Um, since Elijah did not die but ascended into the heavens, 2 Kings 2, he can return. This is a long tradition of interpretation of this verse, expanding the role of Elijah, the herald of the Messianic era, and the Passover Haggadah. The awesome, fearful day of the Lord is associated with the travails of the Messiah. Uh, and it's traditional in Jewish liturgy to repeat um, these verses so as to conclude the public reading on a strong, hopeful note So the... Um, which verses in particular? Verses 23 and 24. Yeah. So that's um, 5 and 6 in our translation. It's They would read those twice. Um, rather than the threat of destruction in the final phrase of, of verse 4. Uh, no, excuse me, of verse... Oh, I see how they did it. Yeah, verse 5. And then they'd go and read verse 6 again and again. So you'd read that verse twice. That's how they break it up. Is that right? Oh, I see. I see what they're saying. Okay, so what they what uh, what is traditional in Jewish liturgy, so that they don't end on "lest I come and strike the earth with a curse." This is the gospel of the Lord, right? Like our problem. Then they would go back and read verse five again, or verse four and five. Actually, yeah. Remember the law of Moses. I send you Elijah the prophet. Isn't that interesting? So they recognize it's very messianic, um, and that maybe. And we see this in, uh, especially in John's gospel, that maybe um, Elijah coming back again in the flesh. Are you Elijah, right, who is to come? Um, that's where the tradition comes from. It comes from Malachi. All right. So hopefully that helps you um, tomorrow because you're going to hear about the sun and moon and stars and distress and nations and people fainting, right? And um, the Son of Man coming with destruction, the fig tree being cursed, right? Um, and being, praying that we escape the judgment that is to come. Right, so we're going to talk about that. Um, but of course, the son of righteousness is the one who comes to deliver. Right, So uh, do not doubt, do not despair. Christ has chosen you. All right. Uh, now we look at our hymn. <clears throat> We've been singing it all week. We know it's based on Psalm uh, 24. right? But um, 
and there's two versions, Psalm, uh, 340 and 341, same text, different tunes, all right? There's also another psalm you heard before we began, 339, uh, that's also based on Psalm 24, uh, but it is a very different uh, text, all right? So, a little background. Uh, Georg Weissel, 1590 to 1635, wrote, Lift up your heads, ye mighty gates, while serving as a pastor in the Prussian city of Königsberg, now Kaliningrad in Russia. It was first published posthumously in his uh, Preussische Festlieder, the Prussian Festival Songs of 1642. The basis for the text is two Bible passages associated with Advent. Psalm 24, verse 7, Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in, which is taken directly into stanza 1, and, because last week, the Gospel text, Matthew 21, verse 9, 1 through 9, the gospel for the first Sunday in Advent, which is the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Uh, also referenced is the prophecy of Zechariah, rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, right? Zechariah 9, verse 9. Now, the question was about the tune, and I remember I pointed out to you that um, the tune is called, that uh, 341 is called Milwaukee, right? And of course, you can guess why. Um, it comes from August Lemke, and August Lemke was a Lutheran school teacher and church musician in Milwaukee. <laughs> uh, the tune is also called uh, Machak de Tour. Um, but uh, anyway, origin of the tune is obscure. Accordingly, we have all listed the publications we found up. So actually, it's not as well attested to as one would think. Um, so there's the uh, German uh, choral book from uh, CPH of 1883. There's the Sunday School Hymnal, uh, which came out of out of the English Evangelical Lutheran Synod, which became later a, um, a district of our church body. That was 1901. That was the English district today. The English Synod joined the Missouri Synod in 1911. Uh, and then CPH took over the copyrights. So that's another one that attributes it to, to Lemke. Uh, 1908, the Concordia Kinder Cura, Cura excuse me, which is the uh, uh, a choir book for kids. Um, then there's uh, actually a published, from Milwaukee in 1912, a published choral work called the Weinox Klinge zur Christ Vesper Cantata. So it's the, um, um, the Christmas something of, uh, or for the Vesper of Christ, right? The Christmas Eve um, cantata. That's the earliest source we found with the connection to Trinity Lutheran Church in Milwaukee. Remember, that's the one that burned where August Lemke had been the musician. All right, so maybe I talk to my pastor friend who's the pastor there at Trinity downtown uh, and find out if they've got more information on it. Yeah, there's all sorts of notes here. Okay, so let us sing.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father and Holy Baptism, we became your dear children and you became our dear Father. You have given us every gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and for Jesus' sake, have made to us many great and precious promises. We thank you for the gift of forgiveness, for clothing us with the righteousness of Christ, and for making us joint heirs with your Son of eternal life. 
Forgive us for doubting your tender love for us and for not trusting that we are all your dear children in Jesus. Give us confidence in your word, boldness to call upon you in prayer for all our needs, and the joy of being your dearly loved and forgiven children. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lord, absolve your people from their offenses, that from the bonds of our sins, which by reason of our frailty we have brought upon ourselves, we may be delivered by your bountiful goodness. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We pray this day for faithfulness to the end, for the renewal of those who are withering in the faith or have fallen away, for pastors as they prepare to administer Christ's holy gifts, and for receptive hearts and minds on the Lord's day. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Today, we rejoice with Alexei, who celebrates birthday, with Mina, who celebrates her baptism. Pray for all our households, especially Dale and Anne, Russ and Amy, Jared and Michelle, Jerome, Joe, and Doug. Pray for our catechumens, Christian, Wyatt, Aaliyah, Lydia, Charlie, Kaylee, and Kimberly. We pray for those ill, receiving treatment, or recovering, especially Marcella, Joe, Kelsey, Walt, Christopher, Dan, Brad, and Ron, Marla, Betty, Pat, and Merlin, and Heidi. Pray for our homebound Bev, Ed, Paul, and Pauline. Pray for uh, the mission of, of the month, that is a place of refuge, and ask the Lord to give us generous hearts to support them. Pray an intercession for the government and those under authority. Pray for the family and friends of Willis and Mickey who grieve his death. For all this, let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger, and I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. All right. So that's our congregation of prayer for today, Saturday, December 3rd. Uh, Hopefully that helps you prepare tomorrow, um, not only for the season of Advent, but for the day's particular preaching and hearing. Uh, Of course, our liturgy of of hymns and psalms. Um, I will hopefully send out here in a few minutes, if I can get to it, um, the email to give you all the links and whatnot for this weekend. Just a reminder that Mickey's uh, funeral is at 2.30, so if you can come uh, for for the service, that would be appreciated uh, to help carry our song and our singing. Uh, the focus will be on her confirmation verse, which is John 6, verse 68, right? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What a beautiful confirmation verse for a funeral, right? And uh, so our, our hymn, our sermon hymn will complement that. Um, and our, really, our day will focus on that. All right. So, God be with you all. Keep you safe. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow for divine service at 930. Bible study following on, um, we're in Ezekiel. And then following that, uh, visitation and funeral. All right. God be with you all. We thank you for listening to this podcast from St. John Evangelical Lutheran Church, Sherman Center in Random Lake, Wisconsin. 
If this podcast is of benefit to you, please consider supporting the work of St. John by visiting stjohnrandomlake.org, that's stjohnrandomlake.org, slash support, and give today.